everyone out on this beautiful July morning. I'll ask you to stand with me if you will. Hymn number 22, bless his holy name. Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church Liberty. Thank you for being here on a wonderful, gorgeous July morning. Uh, I'd rather be here. Wouldn't you rather be here than in the best hospital in the county? I'm telling you, it's a good place to be. Thank you for being here this morning. And we welcome you. If you're a guest today, if you're visiting, in your bulletin is a little tear-off sheet. Just, just tear that off and fill it out and then put it in offering plates when they're passed in just a little while. And the church then will have a record of your visit on how they can uh, minister to you and help you through the uh, weeks to come. Please be in prayer for um, the church during this transition time. A lot of praying should be done. 
praying for God's wisdom, God's anointing, God's protection. But in particular, you'll see in your bulletin a couple of things. Uh, prayer for newly elected deacons, you see those listed. And uh, I believe they'll start in August. So pray for them, pray for your deacon body. That God will give them wisdom as they lead. And then congratulations to the scholarship winners. Are any of those here this morning? I don't know who they are. I don't know you, but who is here in the balcony? All right. Who is, who's in the balcony? JJ, congratulations. Thank you for uh, anybody else. Tell me who you are. Gabby, thank you for being here. And thank, congratulations. I want to tell you, uh, going off to college is an expensive thing and uh, maybe a scary thing. So we want to pray for our students as they go off to college. Those will be going back to high school and middle school. And, and especially those that are starting kindergarten this year. Pray for the mamas and daddies as well uh, during that time. You see the Christmas tree here? Uh, we're not jumping the gun here, but that's an operation for Operation Christmas Child. And uh, you'll see the things that are needed there, and they've been on the screen, the things that are being collected. And also the sign-up table for the Acts ministry. Uh, sign up and indicate where you would like to serve, what God's laid on your heart. And as the nominating committee begins uh, working, they'll facilitate the Acts model, so please keep that in mind. Don't forget the service tonight at 6 o'clock, and uh, we'll be excited about that. Would you pray with me as we ask God's anointing and blessing of the service today? Father, we thank you for the privilege to be together. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your presence with thanksgiving. We ask now that as we worship today that you'd make us aware of your presence. No doubt folks have come today with burdens and needs and concerns. Perhaps some have come today with just thanksgiving in their heart because of how you've blessed in their lives. But today, for this next hour, may our focus be on you. May we honor you and worship you and lift your name. May we praise you from the depths of our heart. Bless in our singing, may we sing as unto you. Bless in the preaching and bless in the invitation we ask in Jesus' name. There are many, perhaps, Lord, who are sick, who are hurting, who couldn't be here today. Bless them physically. Those that are traveling, away on vacation, we pray that you'd give them safety, bring them back at the appointed time, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. get to stand with me once again sing oh how he loves you and me Father, we again thank you for this part of worship as we return to you our tithes and offerings. And we pray that you'll be pleased and honored. Uh, Lord, thank you for the physical health and strength and the means to earn a living. And as we honor you with tithes and offerings, be pleased in this part of the worship. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can remain seated, but we're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision. Thank you. 
talking just before the service began and we talked about when folks come to church and they are sort of down in the dumps and said she talked about having to push up on their lips to make them smile I asked the redundant question one time I mean they were sitting there like they were just got a letter from the IRS or something and I asked this question how many of you had a fight before you came to church and six or seven hands went up I, I didn't really want to know that but I didn't ask you that, but uh, sometimes that happens. My title, the title of my message today is uh, to answer a question that perhaps you've had. Maybe you've never asked it aloud, but I'm almost positive that the question has been in your mind at some point. Why do bad things happen to good people? You look at the world and you ask yourself, why this or why that? Why does God allow evil to prevail? Some lunatic with a gun going into high school and killing innocent children. Or why a family traveling down the highway minding their own business and then somebody because of carelessness or intoxication crosses the line and hits them head on. We've asked those kind of questions or at least we've wondered those kinds of things. So the question I want to help you with today, if you'll stay with me, if you'll look in the Word of God, I believe I can help you at least partially come to an answer of that question, why do bad things happen to good people? And we're going to read just a couple of verses of Scripture, Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. So find that in your Bible. I believe it will also be on the screen. But I want you to, to look at those verses with your heart and mind open and allow God to help you come to some understanding of the evil, sinful, fallen, broken world in which we live. Romans 8, beginning in verse 28 and then verse 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate 
to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Have you heard about old Chirpy? Chirpy the parakeet was sitting in his cage one day just chirping and singing. I mean, not a care in the world. He was happy with himself and happy with his world, just singing up a storm until his owner decided to clean out his birdcage. She had a vacuum hose, opened the door and started to put that vacuum hose in there to clean out that cage. And just as she did, the phone right beside the cage rung and she leaned over to answer the phone. When she did, that hose went up and Chirpy was sucked up into that hose. Well, realizing what had happened, she hung up the phone turned off the vacuum cleaner, opened up that old dirty brown bag full of dust and debris and filth and all that, and there was old Chirpy still alive but in shock, covered in dust. Well, she did what any good parakeet owner would do. She took him to the kitchen, turned on the cold water faucet wide open, and stuck old Chirpy under that water faucet. And then it occurred to her, Chirpy was about to drown. She took him out and again wanted to be a good parakeet owner, took him to the bathroom, plugged in her hair dryer on full blast and was drying old Chirpy off. Chirpy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> he just sits in his cage and wonders what happened. One minute singing and happy, the next minute he was sucked in, washed up and blown over. Maybe some of you had a similar experience. Maybe just minding your own, everything going well, the sun was shining, and everything going well, and then all of a sudden, things came into your life over which you had no control. When you think about it, most everything that happens to you in your life, you have very little control over. You have less control over affairs in your life than you really think. So if you think about that, things that come into your life, things from, I mean, the sin of other folk has a way of affecting you in a negative way. No sin of your own, no fault of your own, but things that other folk do have a negative and harmful effect on your life. So why do bad things happen to good people? Romans 8 might be called the groaning chapter. Because in, this, in these verses in chapter 8, Paul re talks about in, in verses 20, 18 through 22 that creation is groaning. Look at verse 22. Now, I'm not to read that whole text, but verse 22 says, We know that the whole creation groaneth, and travaileth in pain together unto now. The word travaileth is a word almost similar to what a woman might experience as she goes into birth. As she's about to deliver her baby, the, the pain that would be uh, experienced by her. And so Paul says the whole creation is groaning. Why? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Because of what happened with that first family, when they sinned against God, it brought havoc and ruin into creation itself. Not only did Adam and Eve have a hard time and, and some difficulty, but the creation of the earth in which we live suffered catastrophically from that sin. So Paul said, all of creation is travailing, groaning, waiting for the day when the curse will be delivered and broken and taken away. Verses 23 and 24, Paul says that Christians groan. Verse 23 says, Not only they, but ourselves also, which are the first fruit of the spirits, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. My wife and I were sitting yesterday in a restaurant and we got ready to leave and my wife was having a hard time getting up. She said it gets harder and harder to get up and a gentleman sitting next to us over what she's overheard what she said and he said, believe me lady, it's not gonna get any easier. Our bodies groan and complain. 
when Paul is talking about this, he says, because of the sin of Adam, we ourselves, even as believers, groan and inwardly we ache and we whine, we, we moan and we groan because of the things that happen around us. It's to the point where I don't like to watch the news anymore. You can only take so much of that until it begins to affect you emotionally and mentally and other ways. And so, and so Paul is saying when he looks at all the disaster and calamity and pain around him, Paul says, I groan inwardly because of all of that. And you, can, you know what Paul is saying. You groan and you hurt sometimes when people you care about are hurting. Maybe people you don't even know are experiencing some devastating thing. You groan, you hurt for them. So Paul says creation groans, Christians groan. But then look at verses 26 and 27. Paul says the comforter, the Holy Spirit himself groans. It blesses me to know in verse 26, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us, look at that, with groanings which cannot be uttered. So not only does creation groan and Christians groan, but the Comforter groans, the Spirit of God who lives in you. Have you ever been trying to pray, trying to talk with God, and what you were feeling in your heart, you just could not articulate. You could not put it into words. You couldn't have the right expression to say what you really wanted to say to God. That's what Paul is talking about here. Because the Spirit of God who lives in me and lives in you knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in your heart. And it's though God's Spirit is saying, Father, here's what they're trying to say. They don't have the ability. They don't have the words, the vocabulary. But Lord, here's what they're feeling. Here's what they're wanting to say. So it's, it blesses my heart to know that when I can't say what I want to say, what I can't put into words, the Spirit of God says, I know what you're saying. I know what you're feeling. And he expresses that to the Father. The groaning chapter. If you look at these verses, we get into the heart of the text here in verse 28. He's talking about God's promise. God has made you some promises. He's made some promises for me and for you and for the church. And you can rest assured in the promises of God. God can and will keep his word. Now, if I make you a promise, two or three things might happen. I could make you a promise, fully intend to keep that promise, but just forget about it. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I said, I'll do this, and then it slips my mind, and then later, I, oh, I forgot to, it's not that I wanted to break a promise to you, it's not that I intended to be deceitful, it's, I forget. That very well could happen to a lot of us. If I make you a promise, it could be, that I make you a promise and I have no intention of keeping that promise. I just flat out lie. You know that old saying you've heard this maybe a hundred times? You know how to tell when a politician is lying? His lips are moving. Well, I mean, that's not true for everybody, obviously, but sometimes, not just politicians, but there are people who can lie and keep a straight face. They have no intentions of doing what they said they would do. And we make a promise sometimes, and we have no intention of keeping our word. That could happen. There's a third thing that could happen is, I could make you a promise, not forget about it. I intend to keep my word, but when it comes right down to it, I don't have the ability to deliver. I want to keep my word, but when I try, I just can't perform what I said I would do. I lack the ability or the power or the know-how to do what I promised you that I would do. Now here's what I'm saying to you. God made some promises to each of us. God will never forget what he's promised you. That's comforting. God will never lie to you. That's a comfort. And God will never overpromise more than he can deliver because God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. 
So with that in mind, let's just sort of scratch into these verses and see what God's Spirit would say to us today. Look at the certainty of God's promise. For we know, we know all things work together for good. No question, ironclad promise given by God. We absolutely know we have confidence. We know you can be assured based on God's Word, His spoken Word, His written Word, you know that this is true. Look at the next part of that, the completeness. We know that all things work together for good within the love of God. Not some, not most, but all things work together for good to them that love God. All things work together for God, for good. That means that the sweet things that God brings to our life, that's part of God's working in my life, and He's working to the whole bottom line is He wants me, He wants you to be more like Jesus. He wants us to have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. He wants us to think and feel and act and behave like Jesus. And so He's working in my life and your life, and sometimes God brings some sweet things around. We have two of the most beautiful grandbabies that ever lived. No offense to you. I'm just sorry that, you know, I'm just. And you know what it's like when you've had a rough day, a hard time, just and, and just kind of feel down in the dumps, and your four-year-old granddaughter puts her arms around your neck and says, Papa, I love you. All that other stuff goes away. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm glad for the sweet things that God brings into our life, the blessings that God brings into our life. All things, that includes those sweet things that God allows you to experience. But sometimes there are some sorrowful things that come into our life. We know that all things, the sweet and the sorrowful, comes into our life. Probably there's not a person in this room has not had some sorrowful experience in your life. You didn't get that job you were counting on. You didn't get that promotion you were counting on. You didn't do well on that test, or you didn't get the teachers that you hoped some sorrowful things, some, some things that are not pleasant come into our life. Does God ordain those things? What he's saying is God is weaving all that together. So he takes the sweet things and the sorrowful things. Some of you have had bad news this week. Some of you have had some unpleasant experiences this week perhaps. Maybe in the days to come. And God is preparing you now for those things that you'll learn about this afternoon or next week or next month. But God's weaving all that together. Sometimes satanic things come into our life. Now we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world where... Satan is alive and he's at work in this world today. And sometimes Satan is at work against you personally. He will attack you. He will attack your heart and your mind. Satan will lie to you. You, you do know that Satan is your enemy. And sometimes Satan works in the lives of people that we love, that we care deeply about. And it's his way of attacking you and attacking the church. Satanic things come our way. Second Corinthians, Paul talks about enduring the, the satanic attack and the affliction. All things work together. And then lastly, sometimes God weaves not just the sweet and the sorrowful and satanic, sometimes sinful things God uses in our life. Now let's face it, all of us are sinners. I hope that you're a sinner saved by grace, but you always have that old sinful nature and the ability to do things that will just amaze you. You look at your sense, I didn't believe that I would ever do that. I didn't believe that I didn't behave this way. Sinful things that you do are sinful things that others do. You say, how could that be from God? Well, it isn't from God. But I'm telling you that God can even use those things to bless our life. Look at the chemistry of this promise. 
we know that all things work together for good and then that love God. My daughter went to Clemson. She majored in chemistry. She was always a whiz at that kind of stuff. And I learned a couple of things talking with her. She had an internship at MUSC in, in Charleston. Uh, she could love to compound drugs and make stuff. And here's what I learned. In medicine that you take every day, if you take those components and elements separately, if you separate those out in that medicine, there are things, if you take that element alone, it could hurt you, even kill you. But when that is mixed with this and that's mixed with something else and it's put together in the right combination with the right formula, those things that separately could hurt you work together to bring healing to your body. They became a therapeutic agent to bring health and happiness to your life. God does that. Sometimes God takes all those things, the sweet and the sorrowful and the sinful and the satanic, and God is so great, He's so powerful, He can weave all those things together, and the outcome of all those things is a blessing. Now, you see, if you look at one day of your life or one period of your life, maybe just one hour of your life, you would say, well, I wish I could recall that. If I could just, if I could just bring, if, if I could relive that one time of my life, I'd be better off. If I could just sort of reel that in. Some people are suffering deep depression today because of one event or one period of their life brings sorrow and pain. And if that's what you focus on, you'll stay in that dark place. But Paul said in writing to the Romans here that God is able to take all of that and not focus on that one time or that one event or that one period or that one bad decision or that one bad choice, but God can weave all of that together for good. Now, that's what I want to help you to understand this morning. Whatever Satan has brought into your life or what sin has brought into your life or whatever has come into your life, God is such a great and wonderful God. He can weave all of that together in your life for good and for your blessing and for your glory. So to the question, why do bad things happen to good people why does God allow that to happen I'm going to give you three or four things you will jot these down it will help you in the days to come we'll have time to elaborate as I'd like to seems like always I run out of time but I'm going to give you three or four things that will help you on why bad things happen to good people number one trouble is sometimes chastening my daddy said to me one time Son, you need a whipping. And I said to him, I might need one, but I sure don't want one. <laughs> you ever been there? Ever done that? I mean, just sometimes as a child of God, trouble comes into our life, difficulty comes, and it's God's way of chastening us, correcting us, not because he's angry and not because he's mad with us, but he loves you and he wants the very best for you. And so he corrects you. He corrects your behavior. He corrects your thinking by allowing difficulty and trouble to come into your life. Some bad things can come and it's God's way of getting our attention. It's God's way of helping us to wake up and come to our senses and say hey I don't need to be doing that or God forgive me for doing that trouble is chastening God spanks him in fact the Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves no parent enjoys disciplining his children no parent enjoys spanking their children you do it because you want them to turn out right you want what's best for them have you ever wanted to spank somebody else's kid <laughs> that's happened to me more than I can I, I was in a, my wife and I in the grocery store 
or maybe we were at Walmart somewhere, in a store somewhere. And I take it to be the grandmother was this little kid, maybe six years old. And she, he wanted something, and she said, no, I don't have the money for that. I can't afford that. He, got me, he started kicking her shin and, and kicking her and pushing her and calling her words that I didn't know a five- or six-year-old knew. And I thought to myself, man, I, <laughs> I'd like to, he needs a spanking. I suspect that kid's parents need a spanking, too, for letting that go on. What I'm telling you is God doesn't let it go on. God disciplines us with love and with affection to help us to correct bad behavior. But trouble is not always chastening. Sometimes, here's the second thing, sometimes trouble is conditioning. It's conditioning. What I mean by that is sometimes God allows difficulty and hard times to come because he's toughening us, he's preparing us for something he has for us down the road. He's getting us ready to be used somewhere else in a way that we can't even imagine or contemplate or think about. Sometimes God allows difficulty to come to, to uh, condition us, to strengthen us, to, to grow our faith, to make us tough tougher so that we can be used of God when he brings that thing into our life. We'll be ready for it. We'll be prepared for it. Sometimes you've had difficulty, hard things, and maybe at that moment you said, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. Job was that way. Job's wife was that way. And difficulties came. You said, Lord, at, at that moment, you said, I don't see God in this. But later on, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe several years down the road, you look back to that, and now you say, Lord, I now understand what you were doing. It didn't make sense at the time, but now I see what you were doing in my life back then. So sometimes now, sometimes later, we understand, but I promise you this, sometimes things happen. We don't understand it at the moment. We may not understand it years later. It may not be till we get to glory, till we get to heaven, we look back and say, oh God, now I see completely what you were doing in my life. Didn't understand it then, but now I look back and I do understand. Paul said in these verses, for I reckon that the suffering of this world, this life, is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. We used to sing that song, when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. And we'll understand it better by and by. Remember those old great hymns of the faith? Well, they spoke truth. We'll understand it better by and by. Lord, why did that happen? I didn't understand it at the moment. Years later, Lord, I still don't understand it. But when we get to heaven, we see God's grand scheme of things. Yes, Lord, now I understand. The Bible says in heaven, we shall know even as we are known. Sometimes people say to me, boy, when I get to heaven, I want to ask the Lord this, or I want to ask Thomas that, I want to ask John that. No, you won't have to ask him anything because you will know. You will know everything that God knows. You will have, your knowledge will not be limited. You'll have complete understanding of things that you can't understand now. Trouble is sometimes chastening. Trouble is sometimes conditioning. Trouble is conforming. Conforming. He's conforming us to be like his son. Look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's desire for me and his desire for you is that, is that we be more like Jesus. I was at camp one time. We had 70 or 80 of our kids at camp and little fellows up through middle school and 
we were in an assembly when we were singing, we were singing uh, more like the master I would ever be. And something they were singing just didn't quite sound right. And I was this little kid on the front, he was singing with gusto, but he had the words wrong. And I got to where I could hear him. He wasn't singing more like the master I would ever be. He was singing more like the pastor I would ever be. And I said, oh, oh my. No. We want to be more like Jesus. He wants you and me to be more like Jesus every day. I confess to you, I don't always act like Jesus. I don't always react like Jesus would react. But I want to. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to act like him and talk like him and think like him. I want to treat others the way Jesus would treat others. So trouble comes. God is chipping away this and that rough part and this side. And, and when it does, I, say, oh, that hurt. I don't like that. He's, but he's chipping away that rough side and shaping this rough side and smoothing out over here. And he takes a sander over here. And, oh, Lord, that hurt. I don't like that. But God is doing all that to shape and to squeeze and to make me more like Jesus. It can be challenging sometimes to talk to some people. One guy that I know, I just have to be careful here, I don't say too much, but one guy, he just kind of wears me out. He'll come to my office sometimes and I just kind of roll my eyes. It just kind of wears me out. But I believe that God does it sometimes to challenge me and to shape me, to fine-tune me, to be more like Jesus. One guy came to my office two or three years ago now was, closed my door, sat down. He said, Brother Robert, I just need to vent. And he vented for 30 minutes. I didn't say a word. And finally, about 30 minutes, he said, I feel better. He got up and left, and I didn't say a word. He wrote me a letter. He said, that was the best counseling session I ever had. And I didn't say anything. The takeaway is everybody needs a safe place to vent every once in a while. But sometimes God is shaping us molding us, squeezing us to look more like Jesus. The opposite of this, over in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Chapter 12, verse 1, paraphrasing that, he said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. If we're not very careful, we'll do that. We'll let the world cause us to start thinking the way the world thinks and behaving the way the world behaves and thinking and acting and embracing the ungodly philosophies of this world. My daughter called me this week. She, every once in a while, she just gets on. A, when she calls and she's in that mood, I can read her. I mean, the minute she says hello, I know what mood she's in. Sometimes I just listen. Well, she had been to Target this week Four-month-old little grand, her, her son, my grandson, was in the car. And this lady, I, I don't know if the lady walked by or maybe the lady worked at Target. But the lady said to her, how old is they? She looked at this, this lady's in her 20s, I guess. How old is they? And Lynn at first thought, well, what is she saying? Does she think I have twins or something in here? And then she said, that's not even good grammar. And then it hit her. Woke philosophy, pronouns are out now, afraid to use the wrong pronoun, and she didn't want to say, how old is he? She said, how old is they? Now, that doesn't make sense on a whole lot of levels. <laughs> it's not correct grammar to begin with. But we, if we're not careful, we get into that woke mentality. We get into that, and we let the world sort of color the way we think and the way we act and behave and the way we talk what I'm saying to you. Listen carefully. Sometimes God sends some trouble, some difficulty in our life because he wants to conform us and squeeze us into his mold so that we look more like him. I don't remember if I told you this story. Maybe I told you this story last week. Maybe I've told it before. I don't know, but it, it applies here. Mel Trotter was a drunk, just a mean, 
hateful man. Mel Trotter and his wife lost a baby, lived just a day or two and passed away. Mel Trotter was such a mean, ungodly man. He broke into the funeral home and stole the clothes off his dead baby to go sell to buy more booze. There he is, his bottle of booze, walking down the street, sat down on the steps of a big old building, not knowing where he was, not caring where he was. And he heard some group inside singing gospel music. So he got up and walked up the steps, booze bottle in hand, sat down on the very last row, and sat there and listened. Listened to the congregation singing to the Lord. Not professional singers, but they were singing from their heart. Mel Trotter began to get in a conviction. And then the man of God stood in the pulpit that night and just gave a simple gospel message. Invited folk to come and let God change their heart. Mel Trotter left his booze bottle in that pew and walked to the front and fell on his face and cried out to God for salvation. God changed his life. He later became an evangelist, one of the most powerful evangelists of the early 1900s, 1890 to 2010, uh, 1910, in that era, Mel Trotter was a powerful evangelist. Mel Trotter, it was said of him that a drunk, an alcoholic, drunk out of his mind, Mel Trotter had more patience with than anybody they ever knew because he knew what it was like. He had been there. And he would talk with him, stay with him until he sobered up and just have so much compassion so much gentleness and more often than not would lead that person to faith in Christ. Trouble conformed him to be like Jesus. Now here's the question as we close the service this morning. Do you know him in a personal way? Can you leave here and say, yes, I know that God is my Father that Jesus saved me, I have been saved by God's grace. If you can say that, don't do it out loud, but you ought to say amen. But if you're not sure of that, during this invitation, would you come and let me pray with you about it? Just from God's word, show you, at least begin a conversation with you that we can have later about how you can have that assurance. Some of you are here today and you're troubled and maybe there's some things going on in your life and you would God's Spirit has spoken to your heart. And God has helped you to understand the reason God has allowed some difficulty to come is because God is chastening you. God is wanting to correct you. Maybe you're here today and God is preparing you. God has some great plans for you. Liberty First Baptist Church, you ought to be first in this city. You bear the name first. You ought to live up to it and be the best church in this city, in this town. Maybe God's preparing you for that now. He's conditioning you for that. Some of you, God is conditioning you. He has some great plans for you as a person. I wonder if you'd come around us all and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing in my life, but I want to say I'm open to whatever you want to do in my life. Wherever you would call me, wherever you would lead me, whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm open to whatever you want to do in my life. I don't know what God said to you this morning, but I want you to respond to him. During this invitation, let's stand. We're going to have a prayer. We're going to sing. I want you to come as we have that hymn. Father, we pray in the strong and lovely and powerful name of Jesus that you would work mightily in this service. Lord, I pray that folks would respond to the Spirit of God as he speaks to their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to sing, and as we sing, you be coming. Don't wait. Don't delay. You be coming right now.
Places open, altars open, you come. morning. Remember, service tonight is 6 o'clock. You'll be back tonight, and I promise you it'll be worth your time to be in the Lord's house tonight at 6 o'clock. Let's have our closing prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we pray now that we might be dismissed with your love. May we leave here closer to you than we were when we came. Keep our hearts open to listen to you and to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.